What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast, the official podcast of MetalNexus.net. MetalNexus.net, where you can get all your interviews, news, and reviews, and so much more. And so much more is my co-host, Daniel Terry. How are you doing? Doing pretty good, man. I definitely am so much more. Um, so much more tired, so much more worn out. 12 hours a day, five days a week. Yeah, I Killing can it. kind of hear that too between doing the podcast and doing my uh, pseudo part-time job that I work literally whenever I'm not doing this. Um, but uh, speaking of somebody else who works tirelessly is our guest, Ryan Kirby, vocalist for Fit for a King. Uh, I was really bummed, actually, Dan, that you couldn't be a part of this interview because uh, you recently did an episode on discography discussion of Fit for a King. So I was really hoping that you could uh, join on and, and actually kind of get to do a continuation of that of that episode, basically. Well, if you'd stop doing interviews at 930 in the morning, you know, it'd be fine. I mean, if, if uh, a publicist would stop telling me that that's the only time that they have. <laughs> goddamn publicists out there publicizing. At 930 in the Gotta morning. Get... Yeah. Finding space in the day. But yeah, here's the thing. I really love Fit for a King, and I've gotten more, like I've fallen more in love with Fit for a King as it's gone. Um, that song, Backbreaker, has me pretty much Ooh. fully erect at all times. Um, for some strange reason, and this is a side tangent, because fuck you, that's why. Uh, my co-host Joe on my other podcast, him and I have taken to playing like old Super Nintendo beat 'em up games, like Final Fight. And whenever we started listening to Fit for a King to get ready for the show, but we we just shuffled the band, and the first song that came up was Backbreaker. And I think we got like two levels into the song into the game while Backbreaker was going on. And you're playing as like Hagar from Final Fight, so you're like literally breaking people's backs in the game while you're listening to this fucking brutal song. And we're like, oh my God, that was really fucking good. We sat there for at least three and a half hours playing old Super Nintendo games, listening to Backbreaker on repeat. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, yeah. To, to say that I'm that I'm disappointed I couldn't make the interview, massive understatement. Um, I'm not quite butthurt about it, but man, I, I can tell you that Fit for a King is a band that if you have not paid attention to yet, you need to be paying attention to. Yeah, they're a metalcore band. They're also, like, one of the best. Well, I think the fact that the tour that they're currently on, or we're currently on, backs that statement up very easily. I mean, half of the tour is sold out. So, I mean, yeah, obviously that speaks to what Fit for a King is currently doing, how much of an impact they're currently having on the scene that people want to go. And on top of that, I mean, even Ryan was making the comment that most of the set list is the new record. So, I mean, right. the fact that their newest record is arguably their strongest from a fan's perspective and creatively and all that, that it's, it seems like, yeah, we put out a motherfucker of a record and people fucking love it. And that's what they want to hear so much so that they get bummed when we don't play fucking shit off that record. And it's like, well, yeah, obviously. Well, you don't really get that. I mean, there are a few albums deep, so it's not even to say that had they played some older, safer ones that the fans wouldn't have been into it. I mean, their other stuff's great, but their their newest album is, like, just phenomenal in that they're not doing anything original necessarily, but they're doing their unoriginal thing better than everyone else is. 
Isn't that kind of a weird thing, kind of speaking? I mean, you and I are both roughly around the same age, and we've been into Metalcore for a very long time. And actually, I'm going to go ahead and spoil a uh, upcoming guest, but uh, I've been talking with Ryan from Legia, if you remember that band at all. And yeah, yeah. We have been talking about that early 2000s Metalcore, hardcore, that you and I grew up on. The, the, the Basically, the prototypical scene that made everything that has come after it for the last 10, 15 years... And so it's been kind of interesting, like, you know, thinking about this this interview I was doing with Ryan Kirby of Fit for a King, but then also talking to Ryan from Legia about basically all these bands and the bands that don't get their just due and bands that kind of were doing something a little bit ahead of the curve or and or just doing it better. And I definitely feel like that's where Fit for a King is. They're doing it better and they're kind of doing just a, a little bit different than everybody else is currently and that's what's making them stand out, uh, in addition to just great songs. And I think you and I can both agree. Sometimes in metalcore, it doesn't have to be the most prolific song. It just has to fucking move you and make you want to bang your head and like hurt other people <laughs> that you don't even know that are having this shared experience with you. And Backbreaker, I mean, I know we keep hitting on that one song, but I remember the first time I heard that, I was like... I just like want to be slammed into by like a four hundred pound dude, and then like push him and get pushed, and like get crowded against a barricade, and just be a sweaty mess. And that sounds like so much fun when I listen to this song. I can arrange that. <laughs> uh, that, that wouldn't be. That's not too tall of an order. Just let me know when. Okay. But yeah, it, it, literally everything you said was a hundred percent true because, like, they. Like I said, I, I said that they weren't original, but they do what they do in a way that you feel like it's original, I guess. Yeah. It's hard to say because when, when I say they're not original, it sounds like I'm slamming the band. I, it couldn't be further from that. Um, it's the fact that they understand metalcore better than a lot of metalcore bands do. And they understand what we as fans want to hear. You know, and that, that's what I liked in the interview, too, where he's like, you know, we're, we're trying to. We're trying to please like our fans. We're not going to stop doing what we're doing because somebody that doesn't understand breakdowns it hates that there's breakdowns in our music. You know, uh, I and I thought that was pretty, um, pretty true. You know, the thing that was interesting is obviously, you know, we're talking about how metalcore's roots and all that kind of stuff, and how Fit for a King are are kind of extending that. And something that you know, Ryan and uh, one, of, I think the one of the best guitar players in that scene right now, Daniel Gailey of Phineas, and also Fit for a King currently. Uh, Ryan and Daniel are doing those covers, and basically they started off this cover series with doing The End of Heartache by Killswitch Engage, arguably one of the biggest songs of that era uh, of metalcore. And then the most recent one they did was uh, Darkest Nights by Asley Dying. And yeah. I was kind of surprised, and I mentioned it in the interview where I, I wasn't too sure, you know, we've beaten the Asley Dying thing to death. Uh it is no, I have no comment. Yeah, but it's just one of those things that I'm, I am kind of surprised that they would cover a song with a band that has a little bit of heat on them currently. Yeah, I mean, but I think you know, like with what you said about the Killswitch song, uh, the end of heartache, not the end of all heartache. Uh, it just being a very prolific song from that time period, I think, was kind of their only motivation. I don't just think that I know that because I heard the interview and that's what he said. Um, <laughs> but uh, 
you know, there was, he's like, honestly, I really wasn't even thinking about any of that. It's just that we were looking for a badass song to cover, and that one, you know, fit the bill. There is something about it, though. I was kind of surprised when, when I saw that they picked an Ansley Dying song. I was kind of surprised, you know, with Daniel's proficiency on guitar and, and Ryan's vocal chops, that I was surprised that they didn't go back further and either do something like uh, 94 Hours or, I mean, shit, really anything off of uh, Frill Words Collapse, or even go a more a different approach and play something off of like maybe an ocean between us to really showcase Daniel's playing prowess between playing like a rhythm and a lead. Yeah. I mean, I think though, if you, if you go into an ocean between us territory, it's almost a little too new. I mean, it's not new. It's all old as shit, just like I am, (laughs) but, uh, it's really, I think, I think a song off of shadows of security is safe because shadows of security is a safe, um, because you could ask the same question about Kill Switch. Um, why the end of Heartache? Why not something off of Alive or Just Breathing? Right. You know, um, I think it's kind of the same concept that, you know, the bands were just bigger at that time. And there's more likelihood that if you do a cover of a song off of a massively successful album, more people are going to get into it on their on their little uh, YouTube searches. Well, speaking of YouTube searches, let's get into my conversation with Ryan Kirby of Fit for a King. And we will talk to you guys afterwards. <laughs> Pleasure this afternoon of talking to Ryan Kirby, vocalist for Fit for a King, whose newest album, Dark Skies, is out now via Solid State Records. They are currently on tour with August Burns Red. Uh, they have a date in Clifton Park as of the time we're recording this. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. I uh, gotta say, this tour has been uh, doing really well for all of you guys. Uh, I think about half of it's sold out at this point. Yeah, this tour has been honestly above expectations because this is just a run through some smaller cities we've either never been to or don't visit very often, and it's just crushing. How is the, uh, you know, obviously, it's always kind of funny when you see a band like August Burns Red, you know, because I feel like they're kind of a, a musician's band, a band's band, you know, everyone loves touring with them, they've been around for so long, have a rich legacy within the scene itself. What does going out with a band like that mean for you guys that have been around for a while yourselves? It's just they have such a receptive fan base, and um, they just love music. And it's really cool because there's a lot of bands that have been around a while that have a very, like, I'm here to see the headliner and that's it type of mentality. And their, their fans just love having fun and it's a blast to play in front of. So playing with them is a lot different in that aspect because it's not common to have a band that's been around for so long, have such receptive and open fans. What is, uh, what has been one of the surprises of this tour that maybe you weren't expecting other than maybe the sellouts themselves? Um, I'm trying to think, uh, honestly, I've been surprised at the lack of snow. We've definitely had our fair share of snow, uh, but it hasn't been near, like we just played Canada and it, we didn't see snowfall once. There was snow in the streets, but we didn't have to deal with any snow and it was like 40 degrees. Well, 
if you would have came here to Michigan in the last week or so, you would have definitely hit it. Actually, you were just here. I think you actually hit it on a good day here, too. Yeah, we were in Grand Rapids, and it was cold for sure, but yeah. uh, it was clear. Yep. Which I've always said, I don't care how cold it is. I just don't want ice. Yes. Yeah, we just got hit with a – that's where I live is in Grand Rapids. We just got hit with a uh, nice freezing rain thing on top of snow. So, real fun. Ooh, that's rough. We got – I think it was it was called a cyclone bomb. I don't know what that is, but uh, – Sounds uh, like a Super Smash Brothers move. See, I was thinking more of like a Sub-Zero-y kind of move. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, something that was kind of interesting to me, uh, you know, in your live set right now is most, I would say a good, like 75% of the set is, is dark skies material. Is that something, you know, you guys set out to do with this run is to really promote the new record or is it, you know, I, I see a lot of bands starting to do that more where they're, they're kind of leaning heavily on the new material and really pushing the record instead of being like, I know you guys want to hear X, Y, and Z songs and yeah, we'll get to them, but you know, we put out a new record and we're proud of it. Honestly, the new record is by far the most popular material we have now. So it's a mix of promoting the record and kind of just playing what the fans want to hear. There's a lot of days where we feel a noticeable drop off in energy when we don't play Dark Skies material, which it's a great feeling knowing that the newest stuff is the most popular. Do you guys get caught up in like your, you know, Spotify numbers and so forth to kind of help see what is reacting as far as song singles themselves? Yeah, I think that's a really good tool at like figuring out before a tour what to play. Um, we definitely cater it a little to what we're doing. Like when we do Europe here uh, with the mirror after this, we're doing like almost only one or two songs that have any singing at all because we're the only band that has singing on the whole tour. Um, and, but live, like seeing the reactions over time definitely help us know which songs to play and. Right now, Dark Skies tracks just have the biggest reactions and the biggest uh, sing-alongs. You know, kind of speaking to the record itself, it seems like, to me, lyrically, this new album kind of deals a lot with the idea of mortality and kind of what we leave behind when we're gone, um, with kind of undertones, too, of sort of the civil unrest the, the nation kind of is going through, or the world, I guess, is going through. Is that a... Kind of fair assessment? I'd say it's pretty fair. A lot of uh, stuff about like mental issues, whether it's anxiety, depression, um, price of agony is definitely kind of an outlier on the subject matter front as far as uh, it is a little political, but it's it's apolitical at the same time. It doesn't really take a side. It's just kind of a stepping back and looking at the situation and kind of how ridiculous it's gotten. You know, something I've always kind of thought was interesting to me is the unique perspective that you guys, especially vocalists, uh, that are in internationally traveling bands get to kind of see our world and how things affect the world itself. You know, is that something that you kind of take into take in when you're traveling? Like, do you kind of see what's going on in the local news when you're at an insert town here or over somewhere overseas at all? It's definitely shaped who I am as a person as far as just being appreciative of what I have. Like, even just traveling to South Africa, they were going through crazy political stuff while I'm down there with the farmers and everything. And just there's so many other countries that have so much less. And we complain so much about little things here. And it's really, like, helped me be appreciative. Like, in Africa, half... The people don't even have running water or toilets down in South, even South Africa, which 
you're in the cities if you're a tourist and you're like, oh, it's developed here. But when you start driving out of the cities, it's like stuff you don't see in America. And it's like, man, we really complain about some pretty pointless stuff. <laughs> Definitely, I think, gives you a a more broader spectrum of humanity, I think, because of the experiences that you've been able to have and the touring you've gotten to do. And I've always thought that kind of is a is a luxury and, you know, something as a result of that that I kind of wanted to bring up, too, and I had mentioned this when I had the Phineas guys on a while ago, you know, obviously they're in the, <laughs> uh, they're in the you know, Christian kind of hardcore metalcore camp as well, uh, very open about mm. their faith and so forth. And, you know, I kind of posed the question to Sean, do you feel that as a result of being so open in your faith that it allows you to be maybe unwrongly judged by others for how they think you should be living your life as a, as a Christian that tours. Uh, funny thing about that, Bryce from Phineas is right next to me right now. He, <laughs> he, was, the woke up. he was the only one who, uh, who, who walked out last minute on the interview and then came back literally as we were done. Wow. You walked out on the interview, Bryce <laughs> metal nexus. Uh, it was Johnson's title podcast. Yeah. You we just did it woke at, Oh, which which podcast was that one? Uh, it was at the time it was called Johnson's Title Podcast. It was when he was here in Grand Rapids uh, when they were with Earthgrowns, and he was, it was uh, in Grand Rapids when you were with Earthgrowns. I just he just woke up, so I'm just bombarding him right now. <laughs> he had funny. a late night drive. Uh, um, <laughs> um, I would say there's there's definitely been evidence of being unwrongly judged. Uh, We've heard examples from our booking agent where certain bands just don't want to bring us on tour. Really? Even due to the fact that we're a Christian band. And uh, we're not we don't preach on stage and most of our most of our songs aren't even like Christian themed, so it's kinda like people don't really look into what the band's actually about. And it's same for bands like Phineas, where some of their new a lot of their new record is not technically a Christian subject. Right. A lot of it's politically driven. And um, oh no, I just think a lot of bands see oh, band on Solid State Records. Oh, they toured with August Burns Red and played X, Y, and Z Christian Fest. Oh, I don't want them on my tour. And uh, it's not a lot of bands, but I think it's definitely affected. Not that eventually bands can come around, but I think it's an uphill battle convincing some bands like, hey, we're not going to go on stage and just preach for 35 minutes. Are you surprised in this day and age where bands are able to see, I mean, you guys did warp tour a couple of times, I think actually. And it's like, you know, that's, that's a tour where a lot of bands that don't necessarily quote unquote belong together end up getting thrust into each other's uh, radars. And a lot of times you see unlikely pairings of friendships happening be uh, between bands and I'm kind of surprised that even after you guys have done that, that there's still sort of the, I guess, negative connotation to the fact that you guys are just, you know, honest in who you are as people. I mean, a lot of the times, once you tour with a band, it's not a huge deal. But even on Warped, there's a huge chunk of bands that never watch any of the other bands. I mean, I've, I'm guilty of, I've been on Warped and just straight up not watched a lot of the bands and even if I met and hang out with them backstage, maybe I'll go check them out then. But usually the day is so long and so tiring. The last thing the other bands want to do is get off their bus and watch a random metalcore band, which I totally understand <laughs> that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's like so even if 
let's say a band like I don't want to throw any bands on the bus because a lot of them don't do that. So big headliner warp tour band a is on main stage. They may never watch anything on one of the other stages, the entire tour. Yeah. I've heard a lot of that though. is also due to the fact that it's so easy to get lost because it's never the same setup day in and day out. So it's oh, kind yeah, of like, you have to make an effort yeah. <laughs> to walk somewhere. And a lot of times you're like, I'm on week seven of warped. I don't want to walk half a mile to watch more breakdowns. <laughs> Uh, you know, kind of speaking to the Phineas thing, I, you know, and the connection, I wanted to talk about, uh, you and Daniel actually are doing your cover series and just, you know, your YouTube channel as a whole. Um, first of all, something I kind of, you know, you've put out now two covers. Uh, the most recent one just came out about 17 hours ago, I believe, uh, mm -hmm. is your Esley dying cover of darkest nights. Yeah. And I kind of wanted to know, was there any trepidation on your or Daniel's parts to cover that band, given the climate of how, uh, I don't even know if you can call them fans, but just how people feel about that band just as, a, as, the, as the entity themselves, not necessarily the output of their music or what the music means? Honestly, uh, we didn't really discuss any of that stuff once before covering it. It's just a, our goal with the channel right now is to take some older metalcore songs that and just kind of update it with newer recordings and the biggest goal of the whole channel was more to be a resource to other people that want to do covers themselves because like on our patreon we offer instrumental versions where one instrumental has drums removed one has bass one has guitar one has vocals so someone could very easily make their own version of the cover without having to scour the internet for an instrumental and then uh, we offer like a different tier where people can get all the stems for each of our covers and they can mix their own and like work on their mixes with like good, clean, uh, raw stems. So we're just trying to be a source for people to like get into mixing or getting into their own covers. And for me and Daniel personally, like it's just fun to play some old classics that we listen to. You know, what was kind of interesting is going through the comments on that, on the Darkest Night and uh, on and a Heartache, was seeing people suggesting a bunch of different songs. And it kind of reminds me of like what Lost in Vegas guys are doing where they, you know, do the reaction videos. Um, are you guys kind of paying attention to the comments and kind of like looking at different stuff that maybe fan the fans who are coming to your, your Facebook page and maybe being Patreon uh, supporters what they would like or are you just kind of doing everything per what you would like to do with it uh for definitely i'd say it's 50 percent what we want to do and then 50 percent what our patrons like the people that donate a dollar we put up four options every month at what covers they want to hear so we kind of give make a list of what we really want to do and then we'll have people vote on it but we definitely take comments into account because we want as many people to be happy with the channel as possible. Right. I also love, uh, and it doesn't seem like you're necessarily doing this as much anymore, but just kind of giving a tutorial of, you know, band basics 101 of, of trying to be in a touring band and how to be successful. Um, has artist development or maybe A&R or any of that kind of stuff been something maybe you would be interested in? Um, I definitely have had some interest. I, I want to get to uploading some more videos. I was actually going to make a new video of like singles versus EPs for new bands. 
like what's a bit more effective route with streaming services. Um, as far as the artist development and everything, I actually just picked up my first band that I've started to manage and they're from Grand Rapids. So, uh, they're called hollow front. So I've tried, I'm starting to like dip into the band management side of things, but I do want to post some more videos on YouTube. My wife actually got me a new camera. So, uh, when I'm home from tour, I can shoot it a little easier. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually looking at getting a GoPro to do some of my in-persons with video. Because I think it seems like when I post those, like a Skype interview or whatever, when I post those on YouTube, people seem yeah. to like those more because they can see the interaction and see the person and as opposed to audio. But um, mm -hmm. it's it's been kind of weird getting into the podcast game and kind of even seeing how your channel is is kind of evolving to a few different facets, but just kind of figuring out what kind of content is what people want. And, and it's kind of and it's not always as clear cut as you may think it may be uh, from what people expect out of you, because, you know, I think it's funny when I throw up a raw, unedited conversation where you can see the person and I on Skype. And people bitch. <laughs> that, yeah. You know, it's like, well, this is too long. And the other guy talked, why are you asking questions about this? And it's like, I say in the thing, like in the synopsis, like it's unedited. Like this is, it's I thought. long form. Yeah. This is what I thought people, this is what I think would be cool. Is just like literally being a fly on the wall. Like it's not the edited and chopped up for a nice hour long package or 35 minute long package. Like this is the, you know, the nuts and bolts and everything in there. Like that makes it awesome. And all you're doing is crapping on it. And it's like, and then on top of that, like it's free. You literally click clicked on it and you decided to watch it for however long and then complain about it like what the hell yeah that's it's when people complain that aren't uh, investing into it if it's like an overwhelming complaint then it's like okay maybe i should adjust it because more people will be happy when it's but when it's the individual person complaining you kind of just have to roll with it i mean we get comments of people saying they don't shred enough or <laughs> all this is is breakdowns and when people say things like all this is is breakdowns, I'm like, you probably don't like this genre of music. So not going to adjust our whole sound and what we are because a few people are like, I don't like breakdowns. It's like, well, we weren't trying to impress you then. <laughs> do you, it would almost be kind of funny to do something sort of akin to what bring me did on their newest record where, uh, they threw in like a breakdown at one of the end of one of their songs, uh, but it was a very tongue in cheek thing. And it's on the song basically saying that some kid in a black Dolly shirt didn't doesn't call metal anymore or whatever. And so it always yeah. just be funny. It's like, all right, well, if you don't think there's enough shred, like just basically throw one song in there where it's just so tongue in cheek, kind of like, OK, you say we don't shred. We, it's too much breakdown or we don't break down enough. Like, tell you what, here's a little bit of everything. And just there. Now you got it. Hey, well, the fun part is on the new record, we have a guitar solo, so I'll just say go listen to that song. <laughs> and uh, there's going to be more solos on the new record. Are you guys already writing a new record? I mean, I know it came out in uh, September, I think, of last year. So, I mean, you're not too far removed from, you know, it being a year old. And in some cases, this is where bands, depending on how the, the album's doing, uh, start to look to start doing the new record and, and kind of start going into pre-production mode. But are you guys already kind of done on this album cycle once these tours are done? Oh, no. Uh, this will probably be a cycle we ride for a little bit. The album's doing better and better. And uh, we've only discussed what we want for the direction of newer material. So we haven't actually sat down and started writing. Ah, okay. What, uh, you know, something you kind of touched on something I like talking about, which is more a little bit about the business side of the industry, you know, with 
it seems like bands nowadays will kind of do a long lead up. And, you know, you, you kind of talked about this in one of your videos on YouTube uh, about doing why you dropped five singles before the record came out. And it's kind of an extended uh, thing to keep fans interested in the record as opposed to be like, OK, here's a single. And then the record drops and everyone forgets about it. Um, you know, it seems like music is I would say heavy music, heavy metal music and so forth. And, and a lot, I would even say pop and everything's kind of chasing this trend of what hip hop has kind of been doing, which is more singles, EPs, and, and then random, like kind of full on albums after a while. Do you see that that's kind of the trend now with like the playlist culture we're sort of in is it's more about putting out singles every so often to satiate fans and kind of keep reintroducing yourself to the fans that you may have or get new fans as well. I think uh, singles are definitely something where you need at least three to five. Uh, I'm leaning towards next time, maybe four, but I think a lot of singles work if you have genuine great songs that are going to be put into playlists. Uh, There was one or two of our songs that never really caught on as much as the others, so we probably would have survived with three or four. Um, But I think it's just the way things are with spotify and the algorithms it benefits heavy traffic to individual tracks it's it's been really interesting to see the progression of your band over the over the tenure of the band and i always think it's interesting too how how great of a work ethic you have i mean you guys have put out what did i count i think it was six records over like eight years or five records over eight years yeah, something like that. <laughs> like, that's that's kind of insane in, in a day and age where you see, I mean, the joke for a while was that, you know, the, the new Guns N' Roses record, whenever it was going to come out. And now you see, you know, we're, you're starting to kind of see this trend where I feel like a lot of bands are actually taking longer to put out records to almost build whatever fan base they can from the touring since that's where most people make their money now and the emphasis kind of has seemed to shift but it's been interesting to see that you're almost opposite of that mold where you kind of are you tour quite a bit but you also have a really healthy output of music that constantly is evolving and growing over the time and and i think that's very commendable i don't know if anyone really ever comments on that at all no i appreciate that and i feel like it's just right now we're not burnt out at all or feeling a lack of ideas so it's we're always excited to start writing again and it's uh i know some will experience writer's block or it was such a difficult process just getting the record out that once it's done you're like i don't want to do that for like two more years (laughs) has there ever been thoughts of doing something solo from you maybe to explore some different uh types of music or any different kind of lyrical themes i mean not saying you can't express what you want to do lyrically Mm -hmm. in fit for a king but maybe there's something that you would like to do that isn't in the vehicle of fit for a king i would love to i was working for a little bit on some rock songs with chris the guitarist of currents i i really want to jump back into that um and then i would love to work on some like death metal like white deathcore like white chapel-y type stuff which is like where my roots were growing up and local bands and stuff oh you're gonna get those internet comments going they were screaming for some white chapel covers from you guys. oh yeah oh they'll <laughs> come <laughs> um kind of been wrapping up so like i said you can get back to your day since i know you got a show to prepare for and all that um oh, i just totally lost my train of thought actually <clears throat> 
you know, with this Amur tour uh, that takes you overseas, what does the rest of 2019 hold for you guys? Um, we have another huge overseas tour later in the year. Um, like, probably the biggest tour of our career as far as the amount of people we'll play in front of. Uh, that's not announced yet. And then uh, still waiting to see this summer. We might support. We might do like a little small market headliner. Um, and then we would love to that we have another support tour at the end of the year. And then I'd love to. The plan is at the beginning of 2020, finally do like proper headlining shows and do like Dark Skies World Tour stuff. When thinking about doing a Dark Skies headlining set in its true form, what does that look like for you guys as far as now being the band that everyone's coming out to see, like the, the de facto headliner on a tour? What does that look like for you and what do you imagine that set will be like? Definitely bringing really cool production. And uh, really, I at this stage, it seems like with the way the tracks are on Spotify and the album's taking off, just playing uh, the full album in its entirety isn't out of the question of them throwing in some songs from our older catalog. If you were planning on doing the album in its entirety, something I've kind of liked to ask when, when people talk about doing that, you know, obviously the record is the way it is for the record, but, you know, like seeing a band like Unearth, and I think even Hatebreed did this when they did Death is a Satisfaction of Desire, you know, they don't necessarily play the album in its entirety from front to back. They kind of make a set list out of the album. Would you, yeah. would you, are you thinking maybe of doing something like that where you kind of reinterpret the record and reorganize it to make, a, you know, a whole new different experience or just kind of going straight from start to finish? Um, I, I could definitely see a reason to do either one. It's, I think it's something we'll sit down and just see how we feel the flow is in a live setting. And is that something, you know, I know you guys are big proponents of vinyl. Is that something maybe you would end up recording or filming for either a vinyl and or like a, a live DVD type uh, situation? I would love to do a nice Dallas show and film the whole set professionally. It's something I've always wanted to do. Do you feel, you know, with given the fact that you're, and this is, this will be my last question. Um, given the fact that, you know, you guys, you specifically are, are kind of a big presence online, you know, you have a good YouTube following so far on your channel. Do you feel like live DVD, like professionally shot live DVDs or Blu-rays or whatever, do you feel like those are still valuable? Because when I was, you know, I'm going to be 35 in a couple of months, I still have a, ton of dvds and documentaries from bands that i love like the kill switch uh end up you know alive or just breathing and the uh stuff like that and you know just how classic those those albums and those dvds were for me and i don't know if kids nowadays have those same kind of things to to look back on to really commemorate a record or a time in their life mm -hmm. i um uh... Definitely don't think doing like a physical DVD or Blu-ray is profitable anymore. Most people are doing digital. So I think uh, just putting it on YouTube is honestly the best route, kind of like music video style. Okay. And just having content to promote your band is really all it comes down to. And I, I think it could also like, because those DVDs would excite me to go see the band live. Right. So just trying to show the craziness of a show and, Putting it out there with good quality for people to watch. I think having that on YouTube 
definitely would be a good thing for most fans, but it seems like most don't really do that anymore. But I like love watching those like Architects live videos and stuff. So I still love watching them. And I know people like watching them. So it's just a matter of just making it accessible and free at this point, just because people don't really have Blu-ray players and all that. And if they do, they don't really use them. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't for the fact that I have an Xbox. I don't think I would even be able to watch Blu-rays in any way, shape or form. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's all I had for you. Uh, where can people find you and or the band online? Uh, basically, if you go to fitforakingband.com, everything will be there, like links to all our socials and tour dates, merch, everything. I do love that new shirt you guys just dropped. Uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before. Oh, yeah, me falling. That. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be reminded of that every day of my life now. Uh, well, thank you again, Ryan, for taking the time. Safe travels out on the road, and uh, hopefully we'll see you guys uh, back here in the Midwest uh, sometime in the new in this year. Absolutely. We'll be back. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that was my chat with Ryan Kirby of Fit for a King. Dan couldn't be there as the Uber fan that he is, but uh, he did get to listen to it. And uh, I know we talked about it a little bit in the intro, but anything else kind of jump out at you about that interview that you enjoyed? Um. No, the rest of it just sucked balls, except for the parts that I liked. But no, uh, I, I thought it was a lot of fun just getting getting his perspective, you know, on. I like when you ask him how he said or how you asked him, is there are there any other types of music that you want to branch out and play? So that he's like, yeah, I either want to do active rock or death metal. <laughs> That's like such a such a huge, uh, huge jump there. It's like, you know. Uh, even though I mean, arguably, I only found it funny because I was like, well, isn't, isn't that what fit for a King is like, like a kind of a mix of like in, in, you know, purely non genre Nazi terms, a mixture of active radio rock and death metal. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I, it's kind of funny when you pose that question to people, because obviously like sometimes like actually very very serendipitously uh i got approached by a friend of of mine and who listens to the podcast i think i don't know um about some some band coming back and i was he was like oh so and so's back you should get them on the podcast i was like i have no idea who that band is never heard of them don't know shit about them and he was like what they're like the greatest sludge something or other band and i was like that sounds like something more up dan's avenue so i tell you what yeah go ask dan to go set up something with them because that, that's something I don't know anything about. I have no history with it, and I'm not going to even try to front like I have. Like That's my thing. I think very much like with the drinks that we do when we talk about drinking and so forth, uh, I know what I know, and you know I, I think I, I know quite a bit about the, the, this you know metalcore, hardcore, and stuff like that, but like I also am really big into rap and R&B of the like mid to late 90s and early 2000s i also really like pop music and so much other stuff so i'm more versed on a wider spectrum of things and a lot of times when i listen to dan do discography discussion which granted i understand like you're just taking a huge dive into a band's discography so that helps as well because i definitely do that for some of these interviews as well but i will definitely say i feel like you already have a broader knowledge of like grind metal and tech metal and death metal and all of these things that I was never into those genres because unfortunately production on a lot of those genres is shitty. So to me, it's like, if it doesn't sound good, I don't want to listen to it. 
Yeah, I mean, you might be right, but uh, <laughs> but but you're still a poo-poo head. Yeah, uh, you know, because I mean, a little bit of bad production never hurt anybody. I mean, Jesus, come on. Um, but I, I understand to your point because it's funny how on discography discussion we're extremely inconsistent. Sometimes we're like a band. You can tell that I just like the band, even if even if the recording that they have sounds like shit. And I'm like, yeah, it's really good, and the raw production actually helps it. But then other <laughs> times, I'll criticize a band that I don't know as well. Yeah. For being like, I don't know, it sounds like they recorded this in a fucking basement with 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 aluminum foil for the walls, you know, <laughs> and like, you know, uh, but that is one of the one of those deals where it's a fun question to pose to people because you're kind of always like, and I I, I compare a lot of it, you know, because of me and me and your musical differences. Um, I always think like, okay, this person we're talking to, is this a Dan or is this a John? You know, like, is this somebody that is, you know, because I, and I'd like to think that with both of us working together, we can, you know, encompass pretty much anything, you know, as far as, uh, as far as recorded music goes. But, uh, it's always, it's, it's always weird to get an oddball answer of like, you know, active rock radio and John's like, hell yeah. Then he's like, or death metal. And I'm like, hell yeah. You know, like. That, so that, I thought that was a lot of fun, uh, how he how he posed that. And he really wasn't even joking. I mean, I think he's, like, dead serious if he had a chance to do either one of those things in a side project. It sounds like he'd do it. Well, I think he was saying he was. I forget the, the person he mentioned in the interview off the top of my head, but he did say that he was already working on something at one point, and they just kind of lost time to, to keep working on it due to both the people being busy with their bands. But... Um, Regardless of however any of that comes about, even with the YouTube cover channel that him and Dan have, uh, I mean, it sounds like some Whitechapel shit's going to be coming, so I guess fans are going to finally get to hear him get all brutal with it on, on some Whitechapel. I don't know, man. He's brutal as fuck anyway. Like, Yeah, I agree. I mean, that that's one thing. that That is my favorite thing about Fit for a King is the vocals. Yeah. Like, holy shit. I have never heard somebody sound so pissed off before without going into that like guttural death core, like, like a Whitechapel sound, you know? Yeah. Um, so to hear him kind of bridge the gap, I always thought that the, I used to joke that the vocals for fit for a King are much more extreme than the rest of the music. Yeah. It's time till, definitely. till backbreaker. Yeah. Speaking of kind of, you know, somewhere in between of being death metal and, uh, being active radio rock. Um, Speaking to the beer I'm drinking, I picked up a Petoskey Brewing Blueberry Crush. It is a blueberry waffle cone cream ale, and uh, sounded super delicious. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm gonna let you stick with something like that. Uh, that does not sound up my alley. No, no, you lost me at the you lost me at the at the waffle cone. Here's the irony: uh, I don't like waffle cones at all. I, I I don't even like cones of any kind. Just give it to me in a bowl, and I will eat the ice cream. I don't need to get this whole other thing that's going to be cumbersome to eat and or work around while I'm trying to get to the goodness of my ice cream. Ice cream does sometimes feel like it's more of a social experiment than a uh, than a dessert because it's like a it's like a solving a puzzle as to how you eat this without looking like a damn fool. <laughs> uh, and I think right now, you know, spoon to bowl is probably the best way to go. Oh, um, sure. But I will tell you, I have had the pleasure before of eating an ice cream cone wrapped in an actual waffle, uh, which was really, really good. And uh, I'm not diabetic yet, but I feel like if I had another one of those, I feel like I would definitely would be, be diabetic. Yeah, it was. I, I ended up, <laughs> I ended up just dropping it on a plate and eating it with a fork. Uh, <laughs> but it was still really good. I even had syrup on the waffle, so I, I figured. 
And this is actually served at a restaurant. This wasn't like I'm drunk and these are <laughs> the only ingredients I have in front of me. Hey, we've all been there. But uh, no, this is a uh, hey, – for legitimately at one point, my friend and I, all we had uh, in our house to eat was uh, pie crust and peanut butter. Oh, hell yeah. So Peanut butter pie, baby. Yeah, just with nothing else. <laughs> Uh, Sounds good to me. Depression, depression was the topping. There you go. <laughs> uh, with all that aside, uh, Petoskey Brewing, I've never had any of their beers. Um, but this, this, like I said, it just sounded good. It sounded refreshing, a nice light ale. Um, so, And I'm a fan of blueberry stuff. I, ironically, almost any flavor, anything I get, uh, I don't like the actual thing. Like if sour, Like sour cream and onion potato chips, I love them. Give me sour cream or onions, I fucking hate them. Give me blueberries flavored things love it blueberry red bull amazing the blueberry vandermill dry uh cider is delicious put those two together even better this blueberry beer i thoroughly enjoy it give me blueberries and or waffle cones no thank you (laughs) i'm very much an anomaly when it comes to a lot of the things that i like in various forms but uh no i definitely would uh definitely would get this Uh, i would recommend it for people who like a more of like a a nice flavored ale and uh, I'm going to have to keep an eye out for some of the other Petoskey Brewing uh, flavors or beers in general and see what they got. But uh, here's a fun fact. Apparently, this is brewed with pure Michigan artisan spring water. So you're literally getting pure Michigan in every every sip. Take that however you want to take that. Well, you know, I, I did start feeling jealous. So either either a couple weeks ago or a couple weeks in the future, I'm going to talk some shit about um, dessert stouts or not dessert stouts, but just stouts in general. But uh, one of the beers that I've been checking out this week actually is an Imperial Stout. It's an Imperial Mocha Stout Ooh. by uh, Logboat Brewing, and it's just called Benny. <laughs> B-E-N-N-I-E, Benny. Uh, it's a yeah, it's it's a nine percent ABV, and uh, it tastes really tasty. Yeah, I didn't realize that's redundant, but when you try it, you'll say the same thing. Um, it warms you up in the cold. And um, it's people still give you shit about drinking it at work, uh, but it's like <laughs> it's like really good. Um, it tastes like coffee. Like like, do you ever you ever not have coffee creamer? So you take hot chocolate mix and you pour the hot chocolate mix into your coffee and mix it up. It tastes like that, except somebody poured like a fucking Guinness in it, uh, it and it's good, it's really fucking good. I know I'm not selling it at all, but it's really good. Hey, you sold me as soon as you said uh, Guinness. There you go. And speaking of selling, uh, if you would like to keep up with Fit for a King, you can find them on their Facebook at Fit for a King Band, Instagram at Fit for a King TX, and Twitter at Fit for a King. And if you would like to keep up with Ryan, you can find him on Twitter and Instagram simply at Ryan Kerbs, K I R B Z. And if you would like to keep up with Metal Nexus, you can find them at MetalNexus.net, Facebook at Metal Nexus, Instagram at Metal.Nexus, and Twitter at Metal underscore Nexus. And damn, where can people find you? You can find me on Facebook under Daniel Terry. You can find me on Twitter at Discuss Metal Dan. And you can also find my other podcast, Discography Discussion, at DiscussMetal.com. And if you would like to keep up with all things this podcast, you can simply find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Brutal Speak Pod. Email the show at BrutallySpeaking at gmail.com. 
And if you would like to keep up with our show's sponsor, you can find The Bean Bastard at TheBeanBastard.com. Facebook and Instagram are The Bean Bastard. And if you would like to become a show sponsor, send us an email. Let us know what you want us to plug, and we will uh, try to arrange something that works for everybody. But we are always looking for extra sponsors uh, to help this show and to help you grow your product as well. So again, reach out to us at BrutallySpeaking at gmail.com. And for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John. And I'm Dan. And we will talk to you guys next time.